Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And we got a great show for you today. I have as a guest, Mitch Steven. And um, by the way, Mitch, do you have an S at the end or just Mitch? No, no, no V in the middle, no S in the end. It's been a lifelong hazard. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you get tired of explaining that too. But but uh, glad you're here, Mitch. And uh, let me just tell everybody listening to the show, we have a legend in the on the show today. He's been around for a long, long time. <laughs> done a lot of deals, more deals than I have, probably more deals than me or Alex put together. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of things today. I think mainly we're going to be talking about the art of owner financing because that's what Mitch is most known for. We've got He's got some really good books that we're going to be talking about as well. He's got some software that he's doing now that's amazing. And so this is going to be a real good show. And this is something that has been a, a passion of mine, Mitch, is teaching and helping people with creative financing. I've done a lot of lease options over the years. Just talked to a seller the other day about owner financing and I got it. They don't have to, they don't want to move for another six months. So, but uh, this was a seller who had, um, you know, their house is worth about $95,000. It's a good rental property here in St. Louis. And uh, they were getting cash offers from investors for $50,000. I offered him $77,000 with owner financing. It's worth about 95000 and he it needs a little bit of work, maybe ten grand in work. And uh, guess whose offer he liked the best? But do you know why I was able to offer so much? Twenty-seven. You, got, you must have got some fantastic terms, huh? I did. I did. Um, what were the terms? $77,000, payments, principal-only payments of $200 a month until paid. No, $400 a month. Principal only payments of four hundred dollars a month until paid. So wow! It's about sixteen years if I were not to pay anything extra towards. Principal. So did you did you put your substitution of collateral clause in there, not Joe? Yet. So you could... not yet. Oh, but don't make sure don't you... worry. I'm not going to forget about that. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. You know what? We'll talk about that later, guys. But substitution of collateral is powerful. Um, what I'd like to talk with you, Mitch, is about like. And, and and by the way, this particular deal, um, he doesn't want to move for six months. So I'm working on getting it under contract right now. Um, and but you know, how cool of a deal is that? It rents for about a thousand to eleven hundred a month. So just gross cash flow every month is going to be about six to seven hundred dollars. Now, if you figure half of that for vacancies or maintenance, repairs, management, whatever I want to do, I'm still net cash flowing about 300 a month from that. And uh, what if I turned it around and sell it on a wrap, you know, and not have to worry about any of those kinds of extra expenses? Yeah, that's that's where I would go. That's what I'd do because, you know, you're talking about that positive cash flow of 300. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't because you don't know what, what the maintenance repairs or what, what kind of ten, what the tenant's going to do to the house or what the tenant's going to do, period. So this is why I like owner financing because when you collect rent payments, you never really know if the money's yours or not because you could collect yeah. two or three, four months worth of rent, but... If something goes wrong, apparently you were collecting it for the air conditioner man or the hot water heater fixer guy or whatever. But <laughs> but if, it's, yep. if if you're the bank and you get three payments worth of of mortgage payments, 
made out to you. And, and, the, and the, if the check's clear, that's your money. Yeah. So plus, what, wouldn't you rather be the bank than the landlord? I would. Plus, plus, what are you going to get for a deposit on this on this rent house? What would you get for a deposit? If I did it as a regular rental, I'd probably get mm-hmm. two months, one month's rent, two months' rent. Okay, as deposit or for or security, month, de- for security one, deposit. One, yeah, one or or you're going to get one month's rent plus a thousand dollar deposit. Yeah, that's probably what I'd get if it was a regular rental. But on a owner financing, I could probably get seven to ten grand. Yeah, yeah, but you know, everyone goes, "Well, I got two thousand dollars." You know, two thousand dollars. The guy out front for uh, when I was a landlord, I said, "No, you didn't. You got a thousand dollar deposit. And you got the first month's rent." I mean, unless you're only working on an eleven year month, you didn't get two thousand dollar deposit or two thousand to start out with. You got a thousand to start out with. And some and states then, require that money to be held in escrow, like you can't even touch it. Yeah, well, I, I never heard of that, but I'm sure I'm sure they're out there. But man, I'd much rather get. Seven, eight, nine, ten thousand. You know, and 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 the sky is the limit. I've had people give me fifteen, twenty, and twenty-five, and thirty thousand down. Someone gave me thirty thousand dollars down last month. Um, well, that's uh, awesome. So you don't. When was the last time someone gave you fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars down non-refundable rental deposit? <laughs> Probably never. Probably it never. didn't happen, right? Doesn't happen <laughs> unless you're unless you're renting out one of Donald Trump's suites or something. Well, I, I just know. heard he um, he like doubled or tripled the price of one of his resorts um the trump oh i forget in some exotic bahama island and um doubled or tripled the reservation prices i guess now because he's president he can do that and get away with it who knows but anyway mitch (laughs) mitch um let's uh first of all let me tell you everybody guys realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes if you want to get, we're going to give you books and links and resources and all of that stuff on this podcast. So uh, just go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. And also we have our Fast Cash Survival Kit that Alex and I put together. Don't forget about that. It's absolutely free. And you can get it at Real Estate Investing Mastery. And one more thing I'll say, um, we appreciate the reviews. Please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave us a review if you like this show. And um, we would really appreciate that. Okay, so Mitch... Um, you live in Texas, right? I do. I think most cool investors that do creative owner financing live in Texas. Um, I'm not kidding about that either. I know so many investors that live in Texas that, uh, do really cool things. I don't know what it is about Texas. It's something in the water. Well, we have, we have the fastest foreclosure process on the planet, um, Texas and Georgia mimic each other. Georgia just threw up their hands and says, why would we try to figure all this out? Let's just do what Texas does. So Texas and Georgia are about the same. They're real conducive, conservative state with conservative laws. And, you know, the the owner of the house or the guy who provides the financing still has some rights in this state. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons. Other than that, don't tell anybody about Texas. I want everyone to stay where you're at. Just, just stay, <laughs> stay over there in California. Stay in, <laughs> stay in San Francisco. Just stay there, please. Yep, yep, we don't, yep. We, we no don't fruits cal- and No fruits and nuts allowed in Texas. Yeah, we don't want to Californicate Texas, okay? <laughs> I used to live in California, and, that, and that's funny. <laughs> so did I. I used to live in Orange County, but I was born in Texas, and I got back here as fast as I could. <laughs> All right. So, Mitch, how'd you get started in real estate? I failed at everything else. It was the only thing left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. a serial entrepreneur trying to start, start on a shoestring. And most businesses, you can't start on a shoestring and get anywhere. And with the exception of MLMs, 
multi-level marketing, which is a, if you're broke and you want to start your own business, find one of those you fall in love with. That's good because you can start a great business with a little bit of money. Other than that, you know, I, I was running out of things to try and fail at. And then I read a book called Nothing Down by Robert Allen. Yeah. And he had the audacity to tell me that if I didn't have anything, I could buy some real estate. Well, Joe, I had so much of nothing, I could buy the whole town. And so I decided to <laughs> see what that was about. That's awesome. I should read that book again. It's been so long. I'm, I'm reading another book right now from 1999 um, by uh, a guy named Peter Conti and David Finkel. Does those those, those names ring oh, a bell? Yeah. Yeah, they're up north, I think, Maryland or Connecticut or something like Peter that. Peter is. Yeah, I talked to Peter the other day, Peter Conti. And uh, yeah. this book's called Multiple Streams of Income, written in 1999. It's a fantastic book. Um, but anyway, Mitch, so you started, uh, you, you read uh, Robert Allen's book. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Robert Allen. You know what he said? No, what did he say? I've made my millions doing real estate. I've made my hundreds of millions teaching people how to do real estate. <laughs> I, I've heard a similar. I heard a similar one. If you think there's a lot of money in real, I think Ron LeGrand said it one time, but I think he was quoting somebody. He said, "If you think there's a lot of money in buying and selling real estate, you ought to you ought to try talking about it." <laughs> and that's kind of funny. It's kind of not. But uh, for people that are the good guys that are out there teaching this business, um, it's important to to get that in context because Mitch. You and I are actually still doing deals today, and still doing a lot of them, right? Um, now, okay, you were you were getting um, how, talk about like what were, what year was this? What uh, you know? How many? Uh... I was like like nineteen. Well, look. First, let me just back up a second. Yes, I'm still doing deals. In 2015, I bought in in, in owner finance. You know. Well, let's say I bought 87 houses. I owner financed like 50 of them. I wholesaled some other ones that didn't fit. And then last year in 2016, I did about 77 houses and wholesaled about 50. I mean, wholesaled everything except about 50 I owner financed. So in two years, I put a, uh, 100 owner finance houses uh, in my collection where I Good collect you. money from. Um, I, average, I average about $500 a house positive cash flow. And so you can do the math. A hundred houses times five hundred dollars a month in two years. That's and what that was, you. That's what you did in the last two years. Yeah, what I did in the last two years because, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because I took on a young partner, and um, and we we combined. We started from zero two years ago, and and we just had was on a jan. You know, we wrapped we wrapped everything up and got it all started right about January the first, two thousand and fifteen, and so we're able to real easy you know know what we have done in that two years and that's what we did we um you know and, and it's the toughest real estate market that i've seen in a long time man real estate's really hot right now it's flying out the window people are getting multiple offers on the mls so i would try to hit 100 but you know if it's not a good deal i don't want to do it i don't want to buy deals just so i can say i did a lot of deals i want to buy good deals so yeah. if it's 87 one year then that's what it is and if it's 77 another year then that's what it is you know if it's only a person can make a terrific living in this in this business. Twenty houses or ten houses. You know, it's you don't have now, to do a lot of houses. One of the things I want to ask you later is how you got those deals. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, when you got started, about when 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 was that? What year was that? Okay. Well, I read nothing down in maybe like eighty three or eighty five, um, uh, if my memory serves me right, and. Here's the thing. I was reading that book and I was 
understanding the concepts. I had a really good grasp on the English language and I could understand what he was telling me, but I didn't own that concept in my heart for seven years. It took me seven years hmm. to, to finally f figure out what he meant by you didn't need any money. And it, I never could, I never could, I don't know, how do you say? It? I didn't own it in my heart. And yeah. then one day I went out to buy a place and I didn't have any money. And I was thinking about that book and I said, the guy, it was an eight plex. And the guy said, um, you know, his tenants were wearing him out, and he actually had one guy that was um, collecting the money for him, but he wasn't self-appointed money collector, but he wasn't turning it over to him. And it was a big, big, ugly-looking guy. And uh, <laughs> and he's, his father died, and he had inherited this. So this kid who had nothing to do with rentals all of a sudden is dealing with these issues. And I, I negotiated a nothing down with him, and I didn't have any payments for 12 months wow. because I didn't have any money. I was going to have to borrow – uh, I'm sorry, nothing down for 12 months. And then I had to give him $30,000 in 12 months. Well, I used my credit cards to fix up the place. Anyways, the, the light bulb went off because I think this is what Robert Allen's talking about. I think, I think I just did it. And uh, hmm. then I started buying houses on my credit cards. Uh -oh. I bought my first hundred houses on credit cards. Uh-oh. Oh, does that, that, does that have a good ending? Oh, it made me a multi-million. It was a launch to a multi-million dollar career. Okay. Um, I, I, would, I would buy houses for... 20 grand on a credit card and then to get another credit card and get 10,000 off of it to fix it. And then I'd buy it, owner finance it and sell the note all in the same transaction. Usually sometimes, um, sometimes it'd take me 30 days. Sometimes it'd take me 60 days, but, um, the money was turning around so fast. You know, I'd buy it. I'd owner finance it. If associates would approve this guy under these terms on in, living in this house. And if they, if associates said, yeah, they'd buy the note for 83% of the value. Well, I'd pick up 5% from the guy. I make a 5% throw away second, which I never threw away. Yeah. And, and I would get 80, you know, I'd get 83% from associates. So I was getting 93% of the money on the table, you know, in one form or another, and I did it a hundred times in a row, and I usually did these houses in and out uh, in 30 days. I think in 1990, in 19, no, in 2000, I did um, 150 houses like that. 2000. That was when people were running to the hills because Y2K was going to, you know, collapse the the economy. Yeah, because here's the neat thing about the owner finance strategy: you you use other people's money to buy the houses. And then you own or finance it when you sell the houses. You don't need the banks. When the banks shut uh -huh. down, you're the only guy left in business. You boom in the recession. You boom like crazy well, it's in the re recession. It's recession-proof, isn't it? Because you can do these deals whether the market the market, uh, or the economy is doing well or poorly. Yeah, so yeah, just think about this. In a recession, what happened in 2008? The banks quit loaning money, didn't they? I mean, yeah. they, they just stopped loaning money. Well, what happens to the price of houses, Joe, when the bank stops loaning money? They drop. They drop. What happens if no one can buy a house? What happens to the rents? Rents go up. Yeah. If no one can buy a house, then they have to be a renter. I mean, there's not a lot of choices, right? You're either buying or you're renting. Yeah. Uh, or you're or, or you're in the military and they, they're providing you a room. Yeah. Um, and and so if your if your core belief of your business model is that a man paying a thousand dollars rent would rather pay a thousand to own if he only knew how. Well, if the rents are going up in the recession. 
my owner finance houses were going up in value right along with the rents because I back into the rents to create a sales price. It's called the owner finance value. It's a value unto itself. It has nothing to do with comps. It has nothing to do with the CMA or the tax appraisal or the BPO or the broker's professional opinion. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has nothing to do with what happened in the past. It has what to do with what are the rents right now. I'm going to take the rent. I'm going to subtract the taxes and the insurance. That leaves me a number that the man has for principal and interest. And so I multiply that number times 115 and it comes up with the amount this man can afford to finance and still have principal interest taxes and insurance same as he payment about the same as he had for rent and then so if you know what he can finance you just add 12 percent on top of that and there's your owner finance value and it'll oftentimes be 10 or 15 or 20 percent above the market and it doesn't matter yeah, so a man paying $1,000 rent would, is in a much better position to pay $1,000 to own. doesn't matter the price, and it doesn't matter the interest rate. I was going to ask you about that because um, that gets a little technical. And Do you cover those numbers in your books, like how you actually come up with the value based on the payments or what the rents would be? Do you? Yeah, well, I, 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 I have a three-book series called My Life in a Thousand Houses. That's okay. the series. The first book's Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, which is kind of a – it's an autobiographical story about how a dumbass, me, figured out how to make some money and how I had to keep morphing and morphing and morphing and morphing to finally get to the strategy and the business that I have now and why I did these morphs. There was things that I was doing in certain strategies that were hurting me and that I couldn't stop. And so I would morph, and then I'd find another problem, and then there was like a hole in a bucket. And I'd go, well, there's a hole in this bucket here, and I'd morph again, and I'd morph hmm. again. So I wrote a book, the second book, in response to the biggest question of the day, which is, how do you find so many great deals? So I wrote a book, My Life in a Thousand Houses, 200 plus ways to find bargain properties. And then I wrote the book that you're asking about. Uh, last year, I, I published a book called My Life in a Thousand Houses, The Art of Owner Financing. Yeah. And that book sells for 50 bucks on Amazon. And it's expensive for a reason. That book is worth a fortune. And I don't hold back. And I tell you how... I structure my business and why. And, you know, if you think 50 bucks is too much for that book, don't buy it, please. Stay out of my business. <laughs> well, good thing I already bought it. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> but I did buy it. It's you'll, in my you'll Kindle. Like it, Joe. It, you'll like it, Joe. It has lots of pictures. <laughs> Those are my kind of books. <laughs> but uh, I have uh, – I'm logging into my online version of Kindle right now. The uh, – I don't have the other two, so I'll need to get that. Um, you know what? Just text me. Just text me your your address, and I'll send you a couple copies. Okay. Um, all right. So you started way back, uh, mid to late '80s. You've seen a lot of um, ups and downs in the market. Probably at least three different cycles. I'm going to guess. Yes, three uh, cycles exactly. Three cycles and. Does does owner financing work? Whether the mark when the market is doing well, I mean, we already talked about how it works when it's not doing well. Does yeah, it work when, when it's, it's not. Why does it work when it's when the market's doing well and and is healthy? Because there's people that can't qualify for institutional loans. Mm -hmm. You know, when the banks stop loaning, no one can qualify for a loan. But even when the banks are loaning, there's hordes of people out there that that have been told no by the institutions and they've given up. They don't even know that they can own a home. I have to. I have to. People have to be brought up to speed. It's like you can still own a home. It doesn't matter about your credit necessarily. You know, save some money. Let your money, let your down payment be your credit. At some point, I don't care what your credit is. I mean, you can be in jail 
right next to Charles Manson. And at some point, if you have enough money down, I'm going to sell you the house. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, and, and, and whether the market's hot or not, you're going to have sellers who can't sell their house um, and buyers who can't buy, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about, Mitch, um, how do you find these deals today? Um, are you out there? Are you still doing signs? Are you still doing direct mail? Uh, what are you doing to find your deals today? Well, it's harder than it's ever been, I can tell you that. I used uh-huh. to just be able to put up bandit signs and buy hordes of houses, you know? Um, I was a bandit sign master. The city hated me. Yeah. I would put I, I would put recordings on signs and stuff that and pick up people's phone numbers, and the city couldn't find me. And well, they found me a couple times, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. It, it cost me about twelve hundred dollars on the last time they found me. But you know, I made so much money that the twelve hundred dollars was not a problem. Um, okay. Uh, but what I do now is. You got to get off the beaten path. You have to be you have to be consistent, beyond consistent, which usually means you've got to hire a VA or someone to do something every single day because because you not only do you have to be persistent, you have to be quick. The guy who hits the um, nuisance and abatement list, or that's what we call it down here. You might call it the residential property code violation list, yeah. whatever they call it. You know, the guy who hits that list, I need to know about him today. Mm-hmm. He just hit the list yesterday. I need to be talking to him today because it's competitive out there. I need to be there first, and I need to be there in a hurry, and I need to be there with a contract ready to go. Um, I do mailing still. Um, really t- try to tighten my cr- criteria, but I do ten thousand. You know, I'm not. I don't want to discourage people out there that are just starting out because I didn't start out this way. But yeah. today I do ten thousand mailings a month. Yeah, I'll stop it every now and then, but I'm not interested. The the calls don't come from the people who get the postcard and say, hey, um, I, want, I got your postcard. I want to buy your house. That rarely happens. I'm interested in the return postcards. That's where the money is. If my postcard didn't get there, then a hundred other Yahoo's postcards didn't get there either. So whoever finds him first wins. Hmm. So you're doing skip tracing for those return postcards. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a bloodhound. I'm a, I'm a tick hound. I can, I can find you. I don't care where you are. Uh, I can <laughs> Can I uh, can I ask you? Would you mind sharing how? What, what do you use for skip tracing? What service do you use? Or you don't have to well, tell I, me if you don't want. <laughs> no, um, I, I I use TLO, but I was gonna, okay. But if I was starting out, I would use I would use Microbuilt and Microbuilt b i l t dot com to talk to a guy named Randy. Tell him your friend Mitch sent you because uh, it's it's a it's a little cheaper. And if you tell him I came, he's gonna do you some favors, but you could cut it in half, I think is what he does. But anyways, he, uh, you know, but my office was already using TLO and, and I didn't want to change the culture. I mean, if someone's, something's working and I'm happy with it, I don't care if I can save 50 bucks a month. You know, I, I just, I'll just leave it alone. Everyone knew how to use it. I wasn't going to switch. Okay. All right. So you're, that's fascinating. And, uh, and, and when, because the market's competitive, you know, you've got to be looking at like, what are the things that I can do that other people aren't doing? Right. And uh, they're 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 not uh, doing skip tracing. Uh, your competition's probably not answering the phones live. No, um, and here's another thing: when you mail out those postcards, um, I have a LiveCom software. I think we're going to talk about, but I put two phone numbers on my postcards, and it gives me twice the chance. I put one, you know, call this number to talk to to 
Joe Blow or whoever. Uh-huh. And then and then I put call this number for a free recorded message. Because if a guy comes in drunk from the bowling alley at 12 o'clock at night and he sees your postcard out there, he's not going to call you mm-hmm. at 12 o'clock at night. But he might call the recording. And when he calls the recording, I capture his phone number. And a lot of people will call a, court, a recording even during working hours because they don't want to be confronted. Yeah. A, a recording is non-confrontational. And they'll call that recording, but um, surprise, you're going to get confronted anyways because I'm going to be calling you in about 30 seconds. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, that's, again, something competition's not doing. I've I've harped on that for a long, long time, especially in this competitive market. You need to do what your competition's not doing, right? You need to um, do skip tracing. You need to send a lot of mail. Um, You need to answer the phones or return calls right away. Um, You you talked about Livecom. Let's talk about that real quick. Livecom.com is a software service website that you started right you created this yeah i couldn't it's it's livecom l-i-v-e-c-o-m-m dot com like live communications c-o-m-m um um because i I couldn't find a service that would do what i wanted it to do for a price that i could half halfway even afford so I, i i went to the you know i went to the developers out there and i told them my idea and they said this is a i said can you figure out how to be able to text somebody without Costing a nickel on for each person on the list, you know. Yeah. How, there's got to be a cheaper way. Why is this so expensive? Well, we figured it out. And you could uh, right now. I have 5,600 people that have called on my owner finance houses signs. Yeah. And um, and I can hit that list for virtually free. I mean, it costs a, a couple of fractions of pennies, but it's so nominal. It's not. It's stupid to even talk about. It's free. I mean. Right. Right. And and um, so I developed it. They said it was a great idea. And I said, and I always get screwed during development because I don't, I'm not techie, and I don't know how to speak their language. And I, it's like when you go to the car mechanic, like was the was the catalytic converter really broken or was it not broken? Because I don't know, you know, <laughs> and they can tell me anything. And so, so what I told the developers was, they said this is a tremendous idea, and I said, yeah, I think so. And I says, well, why don't you go in with me half? I says, I'll give you half this company if you'll if you'll build it and not charge me. And they thought about it and said, yeah, we want in. I said, great, because now if you build a crappy product, you'll have half of a crappy product. And yeah. if you build a really good product, you'll have half of a good product. Yeah. So Livecom is basically where you can buy phone numbers. And they're like $2 a month. They're stupid cheap. They're Virtual, not like numbers. a virtual number, right? Yeah, I just buy phone numbers. Yeah. And, and um, I assign a phone number for every one of my houses. Let's say I have 10 houses for sale. I get 10 phone numbers, and I assign a phone number to each house, and I name that phone number, you know, the address of the house, so I know what it goes to. And then I then I forward that in Livecom, I forward that to a recording, so I don't have to say 100 times, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath house, you know, 1,200 square feet. I just say it one time in a recording. Everything you can think of, school district, lot size, taxes, insurance, estimated, you know, owner finance terms and payments and the whole thing. And say it one time, and then I don't even leave my phone number at the end. They still can't get a hold of me. Yeah. It yeah. says at the end, if, you, if you're really interested in this house and you do have a substantial down payment, then drive to the house at 123 Main Street, get out of your car, walk around, look through the windows, check out the neighborhood. And if you're still serious about this house, call the, the red phone number in the front window. And how I had to get to that system was because if you have 10 houses – 
and you put 20 signs, and that's what I do. I put to sell my houses. I put 20 bandit signs around the neighborhood yeah. with the phone number to that recording. I put one in the front yard. That's 210 signs. It's not unusual to get 50 to 100 calls a day, and it mm. will ruin your salespeople, completely ruin them because they won't answer the phone. They get so burnt out, even after five or six days. What are, so, some of, what, what are some of your bandit signs say? Or your, uh, you it know. just says, uh, for sale, owner financed home, 123 Main Street, and a phone number. Yeah. And, and so, so now what happens is the, the phone's only ringing like eight times a day or five times a day, but they're highly qualified calls, and the, sales, the two sales guys are fighting over them now. Because the other thing you can do in Livecom is you can forward those phone numbers to ring on both salesmen's phone until someone picks up. <laughs> All right. And so whoever picks up the phone first wins. Uh-huh. Well, when there was 100 phone calls a day, the, no one was picking up the phone because they, they were hoping the other guy would pick it up. Mm-hmm. But so, when there was only eight phone calls a day, and then they're viable buyers. Then now they're fighting. Now they're rushing to the phone. I mean, these guys like hold their phone with their thumb like over the answer button, you know, when they're talking to me. So, uh, you, you so you have guys that are, take the calls from buyers for your houses, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, how do you how do you pay them if you don't mind me asking? Are they a commission based? Yeah, I, everyone in my everyone in my um, system is paid upon success except for one person, my daughter, Shannon, who has closed every deal in and out for 20 years. She gets a salary, but she also gets um, 250 when the house comes in, and she gets 250 when a house goes out. So she's getting 500 bucks a house. Okay. Then I pay my salespeople 25% of the down payment because you got to keep the carrot in the right place. Yeah. You get more down, you, you make more. You know, when I was just offering flat fees, they didn't give a crap who mm. the person was or how much they had down. They just wanted to move the house, and I was getting stuck with a bunch of sorry people. Uh, and so now I changed it around, 25% of the down payment. And then my house finders, um, I usually, when I'm doing an owner finance deal, I, um, I, uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking about 10 things right now, Joe. It's uh, all right. I, I, most of the time I pay my house finders on the quick flips or the retails. I pay them 35% of the, of the profit. Okay. Which is really more like 50-50 because I have 30% overhead. They're just sharing in that overhead with me. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But they're doing all the work. Yeah. And so it's 50-50. I mean, I could send them. We could go 50-50 and I could send them a check for, for 50%, but then they'd have to give me, you know, uh, you know, 30% back. You know what I mean? So sure, sure. For the overhead. So anyways, it's pretty close. Um, I do all the mailings. I delve out the... I delve out the return postcards. I delve out the leads. I I didn't see any of the houses in 2015 and 16. I did not see one house of the 70 of the 87 I bought. I did not see one seller. Yeah. Okay. In that's the last how, two years. That's how I do it. Yeah. So <clears throat> I give up some of that money so that I can be free. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and and then the other thing is is when you're doing seller financing. Yeah. There's a strike price that's not um, – it's not – what's the word? It's it's not up to me to, to choose what the price is. We back into the rents of the neighborhood, and it's mathematical. It's not something that I have any input to. We just do the math, and that's – and we figure out a strike price. So can you, can you talk about that? Can you cover that real quick? Do you mind? Yeah, sure. Well, to figure out what the owner finance – first, before you can make an offer to buy something – if you intend to make a profit by reselling it, you have to know what you can sell it for or you're just out there offering money. You don't know what you're doing. You have to know what you can sell something for before you can make an offer. Yeah. So 
we establish the owner finance value, and this is the formula. You take the rents minus the taxes and minus the insurance equals okay. whatever that number is. Let's just use real numbers. Take $1,000 yep. is the rent. <clears throat> you minus 50 for insurance, and you minus 100 for um, 100 for property taxes, and you end up with 850 Okay. Then you take 850 and you multiply it times 115, and it equals – $97,750. Let's just call it $98,000. I don't, I don't, I round everything off. It's $98,000 is the, is the amount the person can afford to, to borrow. That's how much, if you use it, and this is based on the terms 10% in 30 years. This multiplying factor of 115 is, is trying to get me close to what they they can finance if the terms are 10% and and 30 years, and they have 850 for principal and interest. Okay. Okay. So 98,000 is what they can afford to finance. If that's what they can afford to finance, then what is the price? Well, I add 12% on top, and it ends up being like $110,000 is my owner finance value. And I don't give a crap what the appraiser says. Don't don't care one iota. Don't even want to talk to him. Doesn't care. Doesn't matter. So if he says this house is only worth 60. I don't care. The right. age, you know has nothing to do with it. So you take. Um, uh, you you take ninety eight thousand and you add twelve percent. Is that what you said? Yeah, for a down payment. You so you you add ninety eight thousand is how much the man can afford to finance if he has eight fifty in his budget for principal and interest. Right. Okay. If, if you use the terms ten and a half percent thirty years, you'll find if you go up and and look and you back into payment eight fifty, interest rate ten. Years thirty, and you solve for the balance. It's going to come out real close to ninety-seven thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars. I just took having, having to have right. a mortgage calculator out of it. All right, so you're setting the sale price of the house at about one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So, but now let's go back to that balance that they can afford to that they can afford to make payments on that ninety-eight thousand. Right. I can divide by two. Really, really good, Joe. I like. I don't even need a calculator most of the time. Uh-huh. Okay. And so 98,000 divided by two is 49,000. And if I can be all in on this house on 49,000, it's a home run. It doesn't mean that I can't pay 50 or 52 or 53 or 54 or 55 or 56 or 57,000. I can, but I can divide by two and the bar is 49. And if I can get anywhere close to that number, I'm fine. So you try to buy it at half of that price. Yep. And this is almost what like all my deals look like. I have I have 50,000 in it. And I got someone owes me a hundred thousand, and I picked up ten, ten or twelve or fifteen thousand in a down payment. That's what almost all my deals look like. Uh, you can look at the balance, the guy, the original loan balance, and you can see I'm going to be somewhere close to fifty percent is what I picked up the house for. So okay. I, 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 I'm owner, I'm buying it for one price, and I'm owner financing it for double plus I'm getting a down payment. So it almost doesn't matter what the repairs or how much work needs on the house. No, no, and get this. I know you already know this, so I'm preaching to the choir, uh-huh. but just for the audience's sake. The best strategy on the planet, bar none, in my humble little old Mitch Stevens opinion, uh, 20 years worth of, <clears throat> of, ex- of buying experience in 1,500 deals, which is neither here nor there, but just to say I've been around enough to, to, to have seen a few things. The best strategy on the planet is buy it, don't fix it, owner finance it for double, and watch the guy making you a monthly mortgage payment go over budget, rehabbing your collateral. That's the greatest plan on the planet. 
<laughs> I love it. So you know, because when you take the rehab out of the equation of real estate investing, that's where the risk is. That's where you always get screwed. That's the reason. You know, contractors, C O N, cons. You take them out of the equation, and then have how many times you go over budget on a rehab? Every Everybody out there, if, if everyone in the audience hand isn't raised, it's either a you haven't done a house, or yep. b you're lying. Yep. So so everyone goes over budget. So it's much more fun to watch the guy in the house paying me payments that owes me for 30 years. It's more fun to watch him go over budget than it is to watch me go over budget. Okay. So sometimes you're, you'll sell these houses to investors, not just owner-occupants. <clears throat> yeah, and if you sell them to investors, I was doing that a lot here lately because Dodd, when you sell to investors, you don't have to deal with Dodd-Frank because it's not a consumer loan. It's a commercial loan. Yeah. And and um, And the cool thing about selling to investors is – they usually have bigger, better down payments, and they're usually Johnny on the spot to get the repairs done because most of the investors that I own or finance houses to are buy and hold guys. They're landlord guys, and they're not making a dime if the house isn't repaired and rented. Mm -hmm. And so their goal is to hurry up and get there. So I love um, – the downside of renting to inv investors is they're a little more savvy, and you got to leave them a little more room. You know? Sure, sure. What percent of your homes would you say you sell to investors – Versus owner occupants, they're you know ten percent to investors, but it's just it's so easy to find an owner occupant, and I learned to conform with Dodd Frank, and I'm not you know I'm not afraid of it, and I just I went right to Dodd Frank, I stared it right in the eyes and said, you know everyone's making a big deal out of this and running out of the business over this, and all you have to do is hire hire an RMLO, pay yep. the fee, pass the fee along to your buyer, and do what the RMLO says. And let's get on with the art of buying houses. I mean, an, R, an RMLO is a re residential mortgage licensed loan originator or something like that. A residential mortgage loan originator. Yes. So it's somebody licensed. who's it's licensed. licensed. Someone who's licensed. Good, good. And, you know, I thought about getting licensed. I said, oh, I'm not even smart enough to pass this test. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so I pay a guy eight fifty to um, to take that compliant problem, make sure that I'm compliant and, and, and handle that license and and do it for me because I'm allowed to in the state of Texas. And, and then, and you know, they passed those laws in the name of consumer protection. But Joe, I used to be able to close these houses and not charge them anything. And it was a free closing. There was no closing costs. It's just whatever the balance was is what you owed. And now because of all these legislators and their infinite wisdom, now we have closing costs up to like $2,000 worth of closing costs. Because if you're going to charge me eight fifty for something, I'm getting it back from the person who's buying this house. You can bet your bippy I am. And, and so now I got eight, you know, if I'm, if I put carpet in for eight fifty, Joe, do I do I just charge eight fifty extra for the house? No, <laughs> right? I got to mark it up. So if I got to pay eight fifty to the RMLO, I got to char I'm charging sixteen hundred dollars for the RMLO. All right, right on. And so, so if the balance, if the loan balance when someone buys my house is a hundred thousand, it used to be a hundred thousand. Now it's it's a hundred a hundred and a hundred and uh. It's one hundred and one thousand six hundred dollars now because I'm adding. I'm going to put their closing costs on top of what they owe me if they can't pay it. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I call it my buyer's matching retirement plan. My buyer matches me. I put in eight fifty and he owes me sixteen hundred or seventeen hundred for thirty years at ten percent. It's just like a four hundred one k where your where your employer matches you. Except I don't have an employer, so I get my buyers to match me. I love how you just simplify everything, Mitch. That's really good. This business doesn't have to be complicated, does it? No, I mean, 
people were running away from the, this business, the owner finance business, because of that Dodd-Frank and the regulations that got passed. And, you know, I was going to run away, too. But then I thought, well, well, before I run, I mean, this business is so lucrative. Like, I hate to run away from, from this strategy. I love this strategy. So I decided to confront the, 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 the regulations and just see what they were about. Ends up, it's no sweat. Hire the guy. Go find houses. You know, geez, it yeah, was yeah. easy. Now, okay, when you're buying houses, um, are you buying them contract for deed or subject to, or are you only doing this with uh, free and clear homes? No, I, we, we, I'm buying the house with private money. I borrow, okay. I borrow. Let's say in the example, you know, I borrow fifty thousand uh, dollars at eight percent interest only for five years, and um, then I sell the house at one hundred and ten with ten thousand down, and I carry ten thousand at ten percent for thirty years. Um, there's a big question there: what happens at the end of five years? I wrote uh, an article on it uh, at my blog, and it's why I borrow at the terms I do because it's about. Four and a half pages long. What's and, your blog? Uh, my blog's at 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. And you can find the blog there, plus a whole bunch of free stuff and my books and okay, cool. everything you want. But if you want to go right to the blog, you can go to 1000houses.com forward slash Mitch Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, no V in the middle, no S on the end. Um. And you can see why. So, but here's the cool thing about the strategy. I don't need any banks. Don't need any banks when I'm buying the house. Don't need any bank when I sell the house. And I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I just got to get private money. Private money is very, very, very important to any real estate investor. And it's pretty critical to this one because when I borrow the private money, I have the right to do a wraparound mortgage. That means I buy I buy the house with the private money's the private lender's money. I give him a pristine first lien on a house through a title company, and I even buy him a mortgagee's title policy. And then I, I sell the house to another guy on, with a down payment and, and, and on terms, and I don't have to pay off the underlying debt. So the guy in my house has given me 10000 down, and he owes me you know, eight fifty dollars a, a month principal and interest, and then I owe 320 uh, to my person who loaned me the money, and I keep the spread. Yeah, you know it's about about five hundred dollars spread almost every time. So <clears throat> that's how it works. So how much money do I need to do my owner finance strategy? How much of my money do I need? I have no money in this deal. As a matter of fact, I'll borrow fifty two. If I need fifty, I'll borrow fifty two. I always borrow two thousand more at least than what I need to get all in the house, closing cost, everything. Um, I borrow at least two thousand over because finding houses isn't free. Yeah, you know, during the recession, when I was booming in two thousand and nine, I bought a house a day like this, a wow. house a day, and so there was twenty eight days in February that the month I bought bought a house a day, and if I borrow two thousand dollars extra for every house that I buy, which is hardly over leveraging, right, Joe? Because I don't want to get no. into the idea of over leveraging but when you're buying a house that you're going to sell for 110 owner financed yeah and you borrow 52 instead of 50 this is not being ridiculous this is it's almost ridiculous the other direction you're not you can borrow a lot more but let's don't sure because that's how everybody goes broke is borrowing too much and so um and people say well why do you borrow 2,000 extra i said because finding houses isn't free 
And in that month when I bought 28 houses, guess how much money I had in the bank for my advertising budget? I had $56,000 in, in my advertising budget. Nice. You know? Nice. And it, people wonder why they're going broke when they even got nothing, no down deals or they have no money out of their pocket deals. And they wonder why they're going broke. It's because that advertising and the cost to find houses, gasoline, tires, carburetors, postcards, mailings, postage, I mean, you're bleeding out slowly, and you don't even realize how much money you're really spending. Mm-hmm. Now, do you? What are some of your favorite tips or favorite ways to find private lenders? Oh, my favorite way to find private lenders is I, I challenge my students to give their elevator pitch once a day. Mm-hmm. It's the once a day elevator pitch challenge. You know, if you, you you just need to tell people what you do. My elevator pitches. You know, I help someone. You get people to ask you what you do for a living. You know, the easiest way to get that to happen is you ask them what they do. Anybody in their right mind, after they tell you what you do, when you've asked them, you know, Joe, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a stockbroker and I do this, that, and the other. And then there's this little moment of silence, and the guy goes, "What do you do?" I say, well, I help I help average people achieve above average rates of return on their idle money, and I give them very, very valuable real estate, Texas real estate, as collateral. Beautiful. That's what I do. I like that a lot. Everybody needs to pause this podcast and rewind that and listen and write that down. Yeah, so here's the deal. So I asked this. So I I was really getting on an elevator one time. I thought, hey, this would be a great time to see if I can do the elevator pitch really in an elevator before we Uh get to the next floor. I thought this would be cool. So I'm standing here looking at this guy. We're both waiting on the elevator to come down to the lobby so we can go up. And uh, he's dressed spectacular. I mean, the guy is sharp. He has a leather briefcase and i bet you his shoes cost a thousand dollars each were, were you wearing your uh, dirty hat that you have right I now i was i was <laughs> i have a hat i have a hat and I have my jeans and i never tuck my shirt in ever okay. if you ever see me in a, if i have a church if i have a shirt tucked in you're either dead or getting married all right all right uh, um and so he gets on the elevator i get on the, we get on the elevator together and i looked at him and i says i he said sir i think you're one of the sharpest dressed men i've seen in a long time may i ask what you do for a living and he told me something and uh, and it didn't matter what he told me because the next sentence is always the same. It's like it's either I need this service or I don't need this service, but I know somebody who might. Can I get your card? Because I want to get their card before it becomes apparent to them maybe that I'm soliciting him. Maybe. Uh-huh. Sure. So I get the card because I want to be in control. Because if I hand him my card, he's not going to call me. But if I have his card, we're going to talk whether he likes it or not. Mm-hmm. And so he told me what it was, and I said, you know. I, I don't I don't really delve off into that, but I know someone in Mike may have your card and I'll give it to him. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him, tell him to call you. Hmm. And he says, sure. So he gives me the card, and then right when the door starts to open, you know, open, he says, well, what do you do? And then the door opens. I said, I'll I'll get off here with you. And so I got off with him. And I told him what I did, and he says, very interesting. And uh, uh, and he says, I've got to go to my appointment. But anyways, I called him back later. I didn't get money from this particular guy in this situation. It didn't work out, but I got my one elevator pitch in and I got the card and I made a call and tried to set an appointment. Nice. And so if you do that every day, I don't, I don't think you can make it half a year without finding someone who says, yeah, I want to do this. And what interest rate do you typically pay your private investors? I pay between six and 8%. It depends. It depends. Like if I'm borrowing $40,000 on a hundred thousand on a house that I can own or finance for a hundred, I'm not gonna. 
I don't pay. I pay 6% because there's hardly any risk in this for these people. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. If I right. don't pay them, they get my house. Their house is worth $60,000 more than what they loaned me. Um, if it's if it's like over 55% LTV, and, I, and, I, and when I say LTV, I'm talking about the owner finance value, not not sure traditional values. Um, then um, I'll pay eight. I'll pay 8%. Okay. You know? Because there's you, a little more risk. Can I run through an example of a deal? Let's say it's worth $150,000 fixed up. Um, the seller owes about $120,000. So and it doesn't need much work. There's about 30000 in equity, not enough maybe to borrow private money on. Um, but what would you do with that kind of a deal? Worth one hundred fifty, they owe about one twenty. Well, I'm not going to own or finance that deal. There's not enough margin. I'm just right. going to I'm going to take my private money. I'm going to buy it and take it down. See, I don't tie things up on contracts, Joe, and flip contracts. It's just too tight. People leave a lot of money on the table. These wholesalers that don't have the money to take the house down, uh-huh. actually fund and close on it, because they got this clock ticking. Um, they're they're having to talk to people and make make up reasons why they need to go in the house again if they need to show the house. It kind of yeah. borderlines on dishonesty, really, in, in, in a way. And I guess that's why sometimes they're going to – some states have passed some regulations or they're starting to. Yeah, and anyways, and then and then they have this clock ticking, and they, and they can't even afford to take maybe the best offer because they're not sure if the person making the best offer is really going to close. So they take a lesser offer because they know the guy and they know he's going to close because they can't afford to have a hiccup or they'll lose the whole deal. Yeah. And so if you have private money and you can take take all those deals down, now you can slow down, calm down, run your ads everywhere you want to, get people through the house without having to worry about getting busted that that they're that you're trying to sell it. And then and then um take take a chance on the new guy that shows up that wants to pay four thousand dollars more than everybody else. And if it doesn't work out, you can always go to your tried and true people, but you're you're not under the gun to hurry up and take a tried and true person, you can take a chance on the new guy. But this new- house in particular, though, you know, one twenty out of from from one fifty is about eighty percent loan to value. You would still put private money on a deal at eighty percent of the value. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not going to have it very long. To me, this is not a buy and hold. It's not. To okay. me, it doesn't have enough margin to hold. I'm going to buy it and try to sell it and make fifteen thousand dollars off of it or ten thousand dollars off it. That's what I'm. And the private money is just going to be there for a little while. So you would it's, you would try to sell it on the MLS, let's say, to a retail buyer. Yeah, or to a, to an investor for a hundred and hundred and twenty five or hundred and thirty. You know, it's just an in and out deal. Okay, all right. So you don't ever try to um, just take over the existing mortgage. Well, that's another thing. I mean, there's you could do subject to if the interest rate's low enough. And I do I do subject twos. I've done I did one last week. I don't like to build a career on subject twos because what if you know mm-hmm. it's there's just. The underlying debt and the fact that the note could be called, it's not probable that it's going to be called, right. but its I don't want to build a career, millions of dollars worth of that. I do enough that if they ever call one of my notes, I have enough private money to go get it cashed out. Now, I'm gonna, my margins are going to get cut because my private money is more expensive sure. than um, – than the probably the face value interest rate of the mortgage that we we took over, but but it's just temporary to avoid the lawsuit because if you know this could get really hefty. You got someone in a house that's probably done improvements to the house by now or paid a lot or done whatever, and then all of a sudden everybody's going to lose the house, and you're the one that 
started it all. So I'd like to make sure that I have enough money to take these deals out if I have to, and I do. And then then I can take my time and I can get it refied myself someplace at a community bank or something. Nice. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so you try to buy the properties as much as you can with you, – you just take them down. You buy them and then you your goal is to turn around and sell them with owner financing and stay in the deal for as long as you can. Yep, and, 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 and I don't try to get people refinanced, you know. I don't I, – because this is what happens when you – you're either you're either in it for the cat for the down payment and the cash flow and collecting payments for long periods of time, or you're a flipper. You know, mm-hmm. you want to get all your money out somehow. And I, I chose a long time ago that when I own or finance houses, I'm in it for the payments and the interest for the long haul. Because when I I tried to cash a couple of them out by getting their credit repaired. Yeah. Uh, and and so the, they got the credit repaired and I helped them get that done. And then they went to the mortgage company and the mortgage company sent out an appraiser and the appraiser oh. informed informed us all that, that I'd sold the house 20% over the market and to them on owner financing. And then they sent out the, um, and, and I sold the house as is of course. And, and then they sent out the inspectors for, you know, the home inspectors and they gave them seven pages worth of stuff that said their house wasn't worth a crap. Basically it really was, but you know how those inspection reports sure. are. They put yeah. everything on there, set, you know, five, six pages of, of, bullshit mm-hmm. and and so all of a sudden i oversold them a house that was no good and i'm a jerk and they left and they're ticked yeah and they don't like me anymore i'm a jerk when i'm the only reason they had a house and could get their credit fixed or anything sure i'm, I'm the whole reason why they're moving forward in life but i'm an asshole <laughs> so do you uh is there when you're selling a house with owner financing do you have to do any work at all to get it habitable before you get somebody in there no, if I if Joe, if I have a house that's leaning a little to the left and has a hole in the roof the size of a dining room table, and I buy it for fifteen, and you agree to owner finance it for me for forty with three thousand down, what do I? It's I'm not government funded. I, I'm not. You know, if you and me agree, we're a deal done. Start making payments. Go. You know, I sold you the house and the hole in the roof, no extra charge. That's awesome. Now what? You, I, I'm assuming you do this in a lot of different markets in the Texas area, right? Are you are you just focusing only on wherever you live in that area? No, I bought 1,500 houses in my town. Wow, and what town is that again? San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. Population about technically around 1.8 million, but the suburbs and the little, right. co- you know, about two million, maybe 2.1. There's more houses in this town than I'll ever be able to buy. There's people dying, divorcing, having train wrecks, moving, transferring, winning the lottery. Every every day something happens. You know, wealth comes from chaos. I'm an expert at figuring out where the chaos happens. I don't cause the chaos. I'm just there when it happens. I show up. And when the chaos is there, then a lot lot of times – there's real estate involved in that chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost everybody's got to live somewhere. A lot of people own their the places they live, or own other places. And I'm I'm just an expert at finding out where this chaos is happening, and how to find chaos. And then I go move right into the middle of that chaos and see if I can buy something. And that's awesome. You're 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 when you're making your offers, it's there's no emotion involved at all. There's no really you you just tell them this is how the numbers work. You work backwards from the rents. And that's the offer you make, and doesn't matter how much I think the, repairs. 
I think the reason why I'm successful, Joe, is because I go in an effort to help the people. I listen to what their issues are, and I, if they want to keep their house, I'll try to help them figure out how to keep their house. Nine times out of ten, there's no way for them to keep their house. But I go there with the attitude, and I tell them, if, I, if, if, if you really don't want to sell this house and you want to keep it, I'll try to put my brain and everything I know towards getting you to keep it. I want to do what's right for you first. And I just make that clear right up front. I'll do whatever's right for you. I'll, I'll tell you what I know and what your choices are. And then I and I will and so you know every now and then I'll lose a house because I'll figure out how they can keep their house. Sure. And and I will, but that happens like three times out of a hundred times, you know, because most of the time when by the time people call people like you and me to go look at their house, they're sunk. There's nothing to happen. There's nothing. Nothing can happen. Yeah. And yeah. and and so. When you go there with that attitude, it shows through. And I always make four different offers. And I kind of got to these four offers by accident because the name of my house buying business is cash4houses.net. Cash, the number four, houses.net, uh -huh. which is a horrible name. But I did it so long ago before I knew what a good name was um, that I couldn't change it. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I make the all cash offer, which is, of course, is the lowest offer. And then I make the um, – the next lowest offer, which is a, a huge amount down, maybe 50% down, you know, I'll, I'll give 50% down if they can carry the, the other half that I owe them in the second position. And that leaves me the first position to go, bar, to, to go borrow 50% of, a, of, the, of the money for the house, you know, okay. which is a great deal for the lender and a great deal for me and, a, you know, and, and then there's the – I can pay a little bit more for the house even still – if they agree on a small down payment and um, and finance the balance, you know some terms, and then I and I and then I can give them a market price offer, and I can pay I can pay market price for houses uh, any day of the week. There's just one catch, it's it's you got to give me my terms, and they're not negotiable. I can pay you market, but I'm going to state my terms, and they're not negotiable, and you either take it or you don't. And what are those terms? Well, you know, if I'm buying a house for if a house is worth a hundred thousand and I'm buying it for a hundred thousand, certainly we could come up with some terms that would make it worth buying it for the market price, right, Joe? What if we didn't have payments for five years? What if we what if we didn't have payments for a year and and then uh, when we finally did have payments, we could make some money off the spreads? What if we just what if we did like you did and just divided a hundred grand by X amount of months and came up with a payment per month that was all that that was essentially a zero interest loan. Yeah. Where every time you made it, every dollar you paid towards to the guy came off the balance. In that case, if you got a zero interest loan, and let's just take a hundred thousand. Got my I got my handy dandy three dollar calculator here that I've worked my whole career with. You got to hold it up to the sun to get it started. <laughs> um, hundred thousand. Let's just divide it by two hundred and forty months. Divided by two hundred forty equals. Uh, $416 a month. If you get the guy to agree, just like what you did at that house in St. Louis, yeah. Joe, I mean, it's like $416.66 a month. If he takes that, then I can go ahead and owner finance the house. I can sell it for the same price I bought it for. I can sell it for $100,000, but I'm going to charge 10% for 30 years, and, and my incoming payment is going to be – I'd have to get a mortgage calculator, but let's just for the fun of it get the calculator. I got one right here on my phone. You know why, Joe? Because I'm a business man. I'm a business man, Joe. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm a business man. Um, you know how – while you're looking that number up, you know how I yeah. found the house? I um, pulled a list of all of the uh, high equity, free and clear properties in the certain area I was looking for. 
And I sent them a cover letter with an offer attached to it, an actual offer, a contract. And um, I got a lot of angry calls, Mitch, a lot of angry calls. Somebody sent my offer and my letter to the uh, Missouri Attorney General and complained about it. I got a letter back saying, hey, what's your do- what are you doing here? Please explain this. And uh, But out of that, I got three potential – I don't remember how many letters I sent. I was just testing it. I sent about 1,000 letters, I think. And I got two or three potentials, one really good solid. And um, so it was worth it. But I can't, I cannot believe how many angry people called me because of that. I just sent them an offer, a real contract saying, hey, and you know what I did, Mitch? I offered to, I just had my VA look at all thousand of these houses, give me the Zillow value and the rent, that Zestimate, the rent Zestimate. And I said, I'll pay you Zillow value. And I took the rent Zestimate, divide that by half. And that was the principal only payments that I offered them. That was it. And people I can't really mad at you, huh? People get why would they get so mad at me about that? Because people are lunatics. I mean, if you're not, if people aren't calling you mad at you, you're not doing your job. That's what I've learned. Yeah, I, I, I did a podcast on that recently. I said, if you haven't, if you haven't pissed somebody off by twelve o'clock, you're not marketing hard enough. <laughs> and the reason they really have no reason to get mad at you is say no, thank you. That's all they say is like, you made them a viable offer on their house, and if they don't like it, they just say no, thank you. I don't know why they get mad, but you know, some people do. How many people did you mail? About a thousand. Yeah, well, if you walked around and said hello to a thousand people, you're going to find that many that will just shoot you the bird. I mean, you just say hello to them. Go yeah. say hello to a thousand people right now. Start counting them. And someone's going to be a jerk. <laughs> I guess it depends so, on where you're where you're doing that at, too. Like, what part of the city? I, I don't care. Pick. I bet you, you – I don't care where. Pick a thousand, and you're going to have that same amount of people um, cuss you out just for mm-hmm. saying hello. Yeah. So. Well, you were looking at the mortgage calculator there. What did you uh, – what did you see? Okay. Um, I'm doing one more percent of the math. 165 equals. Okay. So if I buy the house and I get uh, the, the seller agrees to get to sell me the house at zero down and finance 100000 for me for 240 months, and we divided 100000 by 240, and so it's a 0% interest loan of $416 per month. And if I sell the house for the same $100,000 with um, zero down and owner finance it at 10%, I make $548 positive cash flow. So I bought the house for 100 and I sold it for 100 except I had zero interest loan and the person I sold it to had a 10% loan for exactly the same amount of time. I make $548 per month and I make it for 240 months in a row. So that times 240. So um, I bought the house at market price, mm-hmm. but but I got my terms, and it makes me $131,600 in it over the lifetime of, of that deal. So so I can pay market price for a house, You just uh, but I get to dictate the terms, and they're not negotiable. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, so when I when I when I send out an offer, I put all four offers in the in the special provisions. You know, see Exhibit A. These are the this is the different offers I'd like to make you on your house. I'm going to make you four offers, four different styles of offers. Okay. I'm going to give you cash at one price. I'm going to give you a large, super super large down payment, uh, and you carry this the balance in the second position. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For some terms, I'm going to give you a little bit down. And you carry what the, the majority of what I owe you. It's all going to be in the first. And they'll position. be just on that on that third offer. Just so I'm clear, 
they'll be the lender. They're, they'll be the yep. one in first position. And they'll not... be the first position on the third one, yeah. Okay. When I give a little bit down and then they, they finance the balance, they're in the first lien position. Yeah. And then I can give you market price. My term's not negotiable. And 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 uh So you I make usually... that you make those four offers regardless of how much they owe on the property or what where they're at. Yeah, and I and I would spell that fourth offer out. I would say, you know, I can I can give you the market price, which is a hundred thousand dollars. And if you want a hundred thousand dollars, I can pay you four hundred and sixteen dollars a month for two hundred and forty months. Yeah. That's it. And whatever the offer is, you know, I put it in there. And so if they have a mortgage on it and they owe ninety percent of the value, there's obviously nothing you can do for them. But you you're in your marketing, are you intentionally targeting high equity property owners? So you can make those kinds of offers easier? Yeah, well, one of the things we look at is how old is their mortgage. We, we like to deal with people whose mortgage is 15 or 20 years old at least. Right, right, right. You know, because that means, you know, we're just taking the odds that it was a 30-year mortgage and they've paid 20 years. There's probably some great equity in this house. You know, Mitch, you should try what I did. Um, you should try that, just sending the, a letter with an offer attached to it and see what happens. Uh, you know, I, I I will do that. I will do that. I, and then I put some I put someone else's phone number in it so they can get bitched at. Put my number on it, would you? Yeah, I put your phone calls. number on it. Um, uh, so here's a here's a neat trick that I do. I I write contracts and I then I go to the post office and I get the I just go in and I take all their priority mail envelopes. I just pick them up. This is probably like a federal offense or something. So if I get arrested, I'm sorry, Joe. Okay. Um, right. But uh, I go in and I get all the priority uh, uh, priority. The big yeah envelopes white white and blue envelopes you know yeah. what I mean it's a priority on them and then I take them home and um, I I have my yellow letter or you could put a contract in it and I just I when I see a vacant house I just write the address and marker in the area where you're supposed to put the address and I just fling it on their porch <laughs> and I, I just, and, and, and everyone open no one leaves a priority mail envelope unopened no one and. That's- it get open. It gets open all the time. If I see a house that I just want to buy and the, there's some people in it, I just fling one. I do it like a frisbee. I can do it from the curb. I can hit. I'm getting really good at hitting the front door and it falls on the porch. I just fling it like a frisbee, <laughs> awesome. right out my truck window. Wow, that's fantastic. And you're still doing that yourself. You don't get other people to do that for you. No, I don't do it. I don't do any of this stuff myself anymore. Okay. But I'm, you know, I'm trying to relate back in the days when I did do it. But then after you get your systems, you just get other people to do what you did. I say this often, Mitch, you know, if you can do one deal a month, there's no reason why you can't do eight. And if you can do deals in one market, there's no reason why you can't do deals in eight markets. You just, it's just systems, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'm thinking about opening up some other markets, but I'm, you know, I'm, but I'm doing so well just where I'm at. I don't really need any more. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm really happy because the, flipping houses isn't the only thing I do. Sure. I'm an educator too, which um, – We should talk about that but before we – we're almost done here. Let's yeah. talk about that. Uh, how can people get more information on your coaching, on your products, your books, and things like that? Um, you can go to 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. And everything you need there, you can get the first hundred pages of my book for free. I have I give away so much free stuff there. People tell me I'm like giving away the farm. I, this is my theory. I'll give you enough to launch a career. But if you think I can save you some money or help you 
go around some potholes or not fall in a ditch somewhere, then call me because I probably can shortcut this for you. And I'm, I'm just going to know things that it would take you quite a while to figure out if you ever figured them out. And they're worth a lot of money right now to know them right now. Yeah. I mean, I know one sentence that can make you an extra $15,000 in a year. Just one sentence. If you use it every time you walk in the door in a certain situation, you're going to make an extra fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in a year. That's 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 less. You're making more money than it costs to hire me, and that's one sentence. You know that I know, and that that works. It, it took me fifteen years to to finally figure out to use that sentence. You know, if I'd have been using that sentence fifteen years ago before I discovered it, I'd be a wealthier man today than I am. So one thousand houses dot com. Click on the free stuff, or click on Mitch's books, or uh, click on the free podcast on, I mean, the free uh, webinar on about 45 minutes on how exactly I do the owner finance business. And then uh, I'm also there available for coaching. You can click on that tab if you want. I have a, a podcast out. It's doing really well. Oh, it's yeah. called reinvestorsummit.com. Cool. reinvestorsummit.com. And you can go there and listen to. I have about 50 people that I've talked to and recorded and had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I think I was the, on one of those. Yeah, you were. You were. You were. Um, here's the thing about my coaching and mentoring. It's me, and it's not really scalable. I can only take about 10 or 12 people at a time, but when you pick up the phone and call, I'm the guy that answers the phone. And uh, so you get that 20 years, 1,500 houses of experience uh, right on the other line. And um, – I find that everyone's different, and so we kind of have to tailor things to the individual person. They have different circumstances. They have different financials. They have different. They live in different parts of the country. They, yeah. you know, everything's different. So I got to listen and figure out like, what would I do if I was this guy and I lived in this place and there were these kind of houses and these kind of people around? And I have to figure. And you know, and I had and I and I had this amount of money in my pocket, or I didn't have any money. What would I do? You know, I helped a homeless guy one time. Oh, really? You know, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, homeless guy. Everybody's flipping houses, Joe, even the homeless people. <laughs> I, you know what? One of my best success stories is from a gentleman who was living out of his car. He was homeless. And um, he just started flipping leases. I have this course called Quick Turn Leasing, where you just flip leases. And uh, you get about 1000 bucks in each deal that you do, but it's super easy. And he started doing that. And within a couple months, he's got his own apartment. He bought a bunch of furniture, and he had a new car. And he's still doing deals today. It's yeah, amazing. I had a guy. I had a that's that's and that's part of the reason why we do this, right? Because you're changing people's lives, and it's not all about the money. You know, yeah. for me, I, you know, one of the saddest days of my life is when I made more money than I ever thought I'd make, and it wasn't able to to handle some of the problems I really wish would go away, and and mm-hmm. so money doesn't buy everything. Yeah, that's um, a good but perspective. I, my guy was homeless but he had a he had a new newer car he was homeless but he had a newer car and uh, you know when I'm talking to him I'm talking to him I'm talking to him finally I don't know how I stumble on it but I said so you have a car I said yeah what kind of car is it he says you know it's like a 2015 whatever and I said you got to be kidding me you have a is it nice or is it wrecked or is it what she goes no it's a you know it's a dang near it's only got 30,000 miles on it it's a dang near new car wow I said, seriously. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. First thing you're going to do is you're going to get on with Uber, and we're going to start because because in between dropping people off, you're going to start driving neighborhoods. You know what I mean? I just I just kind of inspired the guy to get moving again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he did, and he got moving, and like you said, within short order, you know, he had a place to live, and 
wasn't afraid of making the payment and everything was all right. Wow. Wow. Well, Mitch, it's been a, a privilege to, and an honor to have you on the show. We talked about so many things. Um, livecom.com, you guys need to check that out. Um, L-I-V-E-C-O-M-M dot com. Yeah, and that, there's, a, there's a four-minute video on the homepage of that that will show you exactly what I do to sell my houses and why it's so powerful. But believe me, it can, it can work for a lot of different businesses, not just real estate. And it can work for a lot of different things even in the, in the real estate industry. But it can work for a massage therapists and chiropractors and pizza delivery people. And it can work for all kinds of businesses. Just imagine being able to capture the phone number of anyone who ever called your business and then being able to text them for free whatever you wanted to say to them within seconds as a group in mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. And uh, livecom.com to get more information about that. Mitch has some really incredible books that uh, you can get on Amazon.com if you just look up Mitch Steven or the um, look up a thousand houses. And then his blog is 1000houses.com. I'm looking at it right now. I, I found that article you were talking about, why I borrow at the terms that I do, um, that you find that on that site. You get more information about his coaching at that website as well. Um, really cool thing here. I get, one, you have a recent post just from a few days ago, Mitch. You're approved $250,000 unsecured business credit, serious investors only. Uh, doing a, uh, well, you did a webinar, I think, earlier this week about that. So Yeah. Very nice. There's, there's ways to get money out there that you, a lot of people don't even know about when they're first starting out, and you need to know about this stuff. And if you're listening, you're doing the right thing. Keep keep listening to people like Joe and, and following up with them on their podcast, and just start listening to what people are doing out there, and you you forge your way through and, and figure out where you belong in it and start changing your life to whatever you want it to be. Excellent. Um, and your podcast is Real Estate Investor Summit Podcast. Real Estate Investor Summit Podcast. You can find that on iTunes. I just found it. I just subscribed to it. And um, very nice. Thank you, Mitch. Sure appreciate you taking the time and talking to us today. Yes, I really appreciate you having me. It was a blast. You're always a fun guy. and I'm so glad that I met you. And you're one of the assets and the jewels that came out of me being in the Collective Genius think tank and that's right. i met a lot of great i got made a lot of great people there and you were one of them and <laughs> right. uh I, who doesn't know podio joe now in the industry i mean podio <laughs> joe come on now i don't even sell that anymore um i have i still have the domain but man it was a lot of work <laughs> like i don't want to do this yeah there's an easier way to make money right yes there is there is hey mitch thank you thank you very much man god bless go um man you know what i almost said go cowboys I know you're from Texas. But, uh, <laughs> well, we, we've come and we've went. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was a great year, though. It was a great year. You know, no one expected them to do what they did. And, and mm-hmm. so a lot of people were still cussing the Cowboys. And I think, man, come on. They, they, they pulled a rabbit out of a hat. No one expected that year. But I think uh, uh, what's going to happen to Tony Romo real quick? Oh, he's gone. Yeah. Is he where are you going to go? To L.A.? He still thinks he wants to play, but I think he's the oldest guy in the NFL besides a field goal kicker that's out there somewhere that's probably like 70 or something. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, Doesn't I sound like, like you guy. care. I, I like the guy. No, okay. I like the guy. The guy's a stand-up guy. Did I think he was the right quarterback for the Cowboys? I, I just – I thought it was time for someone new. It didn't really matter who at this point, but 
Yeah. That that guy. You know, but here's the thing. Tony Romo, there's all, always things in the paper about him. Like after a football game, he saw someone with a flat. He pulled over and helped two elderly people, and he changed their tire on their car. And when they asked him what his name was and he said Tony, Tony Romo, they fell out of their chair. Hmm. You know, so the guy's just a neat guy. Could you yeah. imagine getting the crap beat out of you for two and a half hours and then you pull over and help somebody? <laughs> Jesus, <Jeez, laughs> I No, that's good. I did not know that. It's not about at night. Yeah. But I think um, uh, uh, Dak, Zach or Dax, whatever, will we'll probably stick Dax. around for a while. Yeah, he's, he's really good. He's a good franchise quarterback. All right, Mitch, thanks a lot, man. 